0: Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Beautiful feet indeed. Listen to that stomp, isn't it great? All right. Hey, before we jump into our message this morning, just want to give you a little bit of update on uh, our mission to Mexico Uh, We've actually had some changes to this. Just want to keep you apprised of this because I know a bunch of you are praying for our team. Uh, There was some uh, little mix-up on the Mexico end of this thing, and so the trip has been bumped sooner. Uh, So we had to change the dates, and in response to that, probably half our team is no longer able to go, which really stinks. Uh, For those of you who were a part of that and aren't a part of that, that, like, ugh, we feel that and we don't like that, so kind of be praying for all of that stuff. Um, But half the team is gonna continue to be going and accomplishing uh, the mission that we're gonna be sent there for. It's one of the reasons that we affectionately term it Flexico, right? Because whenever we're on mission, we gotta be flexible, right? That's true in Mexico, that's true here. And so I wanted to be bringing that to your attention. So the team is gonna be leaving actually on uh, July 22nd. So instead of August, it's gonna be July 22nd. So that is sooner. Uh, There's a couple of folks that are on the team that we are biting our nails a little bit for the receipt of their uh, passports. Because what we know is that the federal government is really fast (laughs) and efficient. Um, and so, uh, if you would pray that, uh, that those two folks uh, get their passports in plenty of time, like not the day before either, would be awesome. So, uh, it's increased airfare because of the, we're moving things closer. So, you can see how it, it's had this, this ripple effect on things. And yet, we also have this incredible awareness that God is not surprised by any of it. And he is already at work for the good of all those involved. And so we're eager to see what he's going to be doing. But as a church family, wanted to bring you up to speed on those things so that you can continue to be praying uh, for our team as they continue in their preparations for passports, for God's provision financially, for the extra costs associated with it. And then, of course, once they leave, we're going to pray over them before they leave and be praying for, for those of you on the trip as you go. So I wanted to bring you up to speed. As a matter of fact, I want to pause and pray even now. So let's pray together. All right? Father, uh, we've been talking about beautiful feet, and right, what you're the one who makes feet beautiful uh, because we're bringing good news about the reign of your son Jesus and the kingdom of God. Like, it's amazing that we get to do that here and far. Uh, We're thinking about the the folks that are going to be going on the trip to Mexico and uh, their preparations. So, Father, uh, as preparations get sped up a little bit, would you be present in those meetings and those times and preparing your people to go on this mission? Father, we ask that you would work within the United States federal government to release the passports that are needed for this trip. Uh, that they would find their way to the top of the stack, get quick approval and production and be mailed out. And God, our desire is that that would happen sooner as opposed to just under the wire. But um, sometimes your timing is different than ours, so we submit ourselves to you. But we are asking uh, for your provision in this. We ask for your provision in the finances that are changing because of the the changes in the trip. Um, You are the creator of heaven and earth, you have the cattle on a thousand hills, you know, it's one of the scripture things scripture says about you, and so we ask that you'd sell some of those cattle and provide for your people and help us to be a part of that. Stir our hearts in prayer and faithfulness. And God, we're not only thinking about uh, this group that's going, but the rest of us who bear your name are living our lives on mission. We may not be changing cultures and language and uh, don't have to be turning in currency and those kinds of things, but there is a new way that you've called us to live, uh, as, as your missionaries in the world where we are, where we go shopping, where we uh, go to school, where we work, our neighborhoods, like uh, stir in us an awareness of how you call us and, and how we walk with you in the midst of all of this. God, as we read your word today, as we study, I pray that you would awaken us that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that you would cultivate an imagination for walking with you that for some of us might be new. And even for some who are here or listening online that don't know you, God, our desire is that they would come to know you and trust you and declare their trust in you. And maybe you'd even wanna do that today. And so we ask that you would and help us to participate with that. Thanks for hearing our prayer, Father. Um, we love that we walk with you And that we can talk to you about these things that stir in our hearts and minds. Again, teach us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for praying together on that. We are going to be reading from the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 5. It's going to be a little bit of a larger section. All right, so we're, we're kind of reading big clumps of this instead of just one sentence or two. So we're beginning at Acts chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading at verse 27. So it's about halfway through that chapter. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. Now, I'm, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up here. I want us to talk a little bit about this, because I know sometimes uh, we read, particularly when somebody else is reading, it can sound a little bit like, wah, 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 Jesus, wah, wah, wah. Right? And so, uh, I, like, I want you to, to pay attention to what's going on here. I want you to take notice of the stuff that we're reading together. So, whether it's on your phone or in your paper Bible or on the screen. And, and when I'm done reading, just giving you a little bit of a heads up here, I actually want to ask you what you're noticing. So, we're gonna, I want to hear from you on some of this stuff. All right? So, just giving you the heads up. So, nobody's taken off by surprise or anything like that. All right? So, uh, let's read it together and then let's talk about it together. Verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We can add in there again, because this is like the second time it's happened. Verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Sort of proven his point. Verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. But one of the Pharisees named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little bit. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will, not only be, you, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of, the suffer, of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. All right. So here they are getting hauled before the religious authorities again. Right, This is their second trip in there. What are some of the things that you noticed as we read this? I'll, you'll need to kind of say it loudly, but what are some things that you noticed? Name. The name? Worthy you say, worthy, standing out to you? The name, uh, like the name of Jesus, kind of like they talk about the name. Stop preaching in this name. Is that what you're talking about? Stopped. Say it again. They never stopped. They, never stopped. they rejoiced. They rejoiced. Yeah, we saw that in there. That seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? They agreed. Yeah, they, they agreed. Yeah, the Sanhedrin agreed with Gamaliel. We saw those things. What are some other things that you noticed in this? The apostles. Their faith. Their faith. Yeah, they were trusting something beyond what they could see, couldn't they? Yeah. Authority. Authority. Say a little bit more about that. What Authority. Yeah, the Sanhedrin thought they had authority over these apostles, didn't they? But there's a little bit of a conflict in there, isn't there? I love that you that you noticed that. And okay, y'all did a good job. You did a good job, right? This is this is this is actually one of the ways that we approach scripture. We learn to notice things and we uh, notice questions, we notice things that make us wonder, or the things that we're curious about. These are all things that we approach as we read scripture together. And uh, so this is good. I like being able to do this together. One of the things that, uh, that was highlighted right here at the end, especially, was this dynamic about authority. Authority, like the Sanhedrin thought that they had authority over these apostles, these followers of Jesus and what they were doing, but they didn't really, did they? Like the apostles weren't we're given in to that authority. So there's this tension that exists. And this is one of the things that we see that's setting up this whole piece here is, is there's a tension that exists. If, if, if people, us, them, if we submit ourselves to Jesus, it's going to put us at odds with the way the world normally works. We've been talking about this the past couple of weeks as we've been talking about this opposition. So uh, we get this picture in Acts of this incredible flourishing. The Holy Spirit comes and there's this flourishing and adding to their numbers daily those who are believing and those who are being baptized. It's, it's amazing. But then there's this opposition that comes. And the opposition is both in external and internal. We didn't, we didn't stop and, and study the first part of Acts chapter 5. You can pick that up on your own. But this is showing us that there's some, some internal dynamics here as well as we read about Ananias and Sapphira. They were a couple who had land. Remember, and we're, we're reading that in the midst of this opposition, in the midst of the flourishing, it's a body that lived in unity together and people uh, took care of each other and they would sell their land and give to those who had need to make sure everybody was taken care of. They were living in this new way of being family together. And so Ananias and Sapphira were this couple that they had some land and then they sold it and then they brought it to put it at the apostles' feet, like everybody else was doing, as they would seal some stuff. However, what we learn is that they, they were giving, but they had held some back and they weren't telling anybody. Big secret. And so here we see, like, the integrity of this body is being questioned in this, and God defends vehemently the integrity of his body so the apostles asked like is this everything you got for the field and Ananias was like well yeah it's everything I got for the field fingers crossed behind my back and and they received it and then he died on the spot because he was a liar he he lacked integrity he was he was playing a game and he died on the spot so people come and haul his body out and then Sapphira comes in his wife Says, you got the money, right? You got the money that we got for selling the fuel? And, and they asked her, hey, was this everything that you got for the fuel? Well, yes, everything that we got for the fuel. She does the same thing. She does the very same thing. And then what happens to her? She falls over dead. And the same guys that carried out her husband are now back to carry her, and they bury them side by side. Like, so we see this opposition comes from internal places too where, where integrity is questioned, where the fractures are coming internal. So the church, in a much that's flourishing, is facing external... Opposition, as well as internal opposition. And we've talked about this this past couple of weeks on how do we respond to this and how these guys responded to it. Some of you talked about this, like they responded with joy. They responded rejoicing to the opposition that they experienced. Well, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that in, in a couple of minutes. Well, let's just talk a, a little bit about this this Opposition we see how they were beginning to experience opposition. And it begs the question for us, what does this look like in our day? Where the, the, the gospel of Jesus advances, it will experience opposition. But the opposition is sometimes in ways that we don't expect or, or we have we have lived in such a way that opposition looks like different things. So let's just, like, like opposition isn't Opposition isn't what we feel, what we experience when Christianity loses favored status in our culture. And so uh, as as Christians for for generations, like way back to the founding of our country, Christianity experienced a favored status in our nation. Even within my lifetime, there have been towns where uh, the towns would have reserved parking for clergy. It was favored status. There's favored status in um, tax deductions. There's favored status in respect given in, for many of us even within our lifetimes. And so many of us are old enough to remember what that felt like and that we're living in a day, kind of a, a, a post-Christian day in our nation and we're wrestling with how we experience that and with what we feel about that. And so having gone from favored to unfavored and what we feel about that isn't necessarily what we're talking about when we talk about opposition. Opposition isn't um, people living values that are different than ours. Right? There's the values that we have as we follow Jesus, but, but we live in a pluralistic world where people, people get to make choices about how they do things. And, and even as we see, oh, no, don't do that. Oh, don't, don't be like that. Um, the, the the pluralism of our day isn't in itself opposition. It's, it's powers and principalities standing opposed to God. Yes, but, but that's different than the opposition that the church experiences, even as we might be flourishing. Um, you know, opposition isn't how people react to you if you're a jerk. Not all of you are jerks. Most of you probably aren't even jerks. Uh, some of us just are jerks. And, and sometimes even as jerks, we hide behind Jesus and so we become Jesus jerks. And, and then we have this perception that people are rejecting us or we're, we're not getting certain things or we're on the outs uh, because of Jesus, when in fact, it's, it's actually probably because we're, we're jerks. So kind of one of the small lessons, don't be a jerk. It's easier to discern what opposition looks like. Right? And so we have to wrestle with that. Stop elbowing your husband or stop needling your kids in this thing, right? I see some of the movements there. You're turning looking at each other. Right? So that so those things aren't necessarily opposition. They can be some struggles, they can be some things we've got to figure out, they can be some things that don't feel good. But the, this opposition is, is both internal and external forces that work to silence our witness of Jesus. And the fact of the matter is. No matter how our culture changes, no matter how um, a bold evil gets in our day, they can't stop us from bearing witness to Jesus. We're the only ones who can choose to not do that. And so let's get clear about what this opposition is. There, there are external forces that seem to, that, that want to come against us and silence our witness of Jesus. There are also internal forces, our own integrity and how we walk with God and how we live by faith. I love that you talked about that, how we live by faith. These are ways that we can silence when we live in divisiveness, when we don't love each other in harmony, in unity. These are ways that we can silence our own witness of the lordship of Jesus. But the fact of the matter is that if we are followers of Jesus, if we submit ourselves to his authority, again, I love how you brought that out. If we submit ourselves to his authority, then we will bear witness to his name. And when we bear witness to his name, when we bear witness to his lordship, then we are living a different way. We are living a different way. We are living with a different code of ethics in our lives. And so we look at what was happening in this small, flourishing community of Jesus' followers. And they were living differently. And it was colliding with the ethics and the values of the culture around them, both um, uh, governmental, economic, uh, religious. And what we see is as this community came together around Jesus that the basic pattern of life, the, the way life is, the basic patterns of life are subverted and undone in these growing Jesus communities. The basic patterns of life are subverted and undone in these a growing Jesus communities. Now let that settle in for a little bit and, and even pay attention to where you feel frustration with that, where you've experienced that. Some of you have experienced that in some significant ways, right? Where your submission to the authority of Jesus and the way that you live your life with him has put you at odds with the way life works. Our financial ethics change everything about finances says this 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 and this but when we submit ourselves to Jesus our finances look different we think differently about money we think differently like we were seeing here people have need I'm going to go sell an asset and give to those who need it right that's that's upside down it's topsy-turvy in the way that life works right And so we see that. We see that in uh, sexual ethics. We saw this in their day. We saw this just even in Jesus and how he subverted the sexual ethic of their day where two, takes two to do adultery, but only the woman would be called before and punished. And in the church, there's a sexual ethic that puts both in submission to Jesus and it undoes the power structures, if you will, of their day, it it subverts the sexual ethic of our day, that says if it feels good, do it. And yet it calls us to this righteousness and holiness and submission to Jesus. And there's a whole lot of reasons for why that is and why it's actually good. But to follow Jesus is to upend the sexual ethics of our day. Say no to sinfulness and yes to godliness. And what he teaches us about our bodies and how we engage with our bodies. Gender biases. We even wrestle with that stuff in our day, certainly in his day. It upsets those things because this little community of the church, it subverts the cultural biases that exist. How we engage economy in this day was slave master. The language of, of brotherhood, a slave and a master now sat at a common table unheard of in these days and yet overtly taught the slave and the master sit together and share a meal that reminds us of the broken body of christ what that's crazy nobody does that except these small flourishing jesus communities and even in our day we look at the economy around us we hear the slogans it's the economy stupid And we go, oh, it's so much more than that. And we refuse to bow to the God of mammon. Why? Because we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. Can you begin to see how when we humbly authentically submit ourselves to the lordship of jesus it 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 creates a collision course with the powers and the principalities of this world that are exercising their dominion through the systems and structures of religion through the systems and structures of economy through the systems and structures of culture through the systems and structures of government and so how do we stand in those things how do we not only notice this But respond to it. Look at verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. There it is. There it is, obey. Some of you talked about this when we were noticing that you notice that there's this this tension that exists. We're not gonna live to just make other people happy. We're not living life the way, because that's the way life is, right? Those are the phrases, like, that's the way life is. It's what everybody does. It's how the world works. And yet we understand when we live in submission to Jesus, there's a different way to live. We live in obedience to God, in this specific case, they've been told what to do. Uh, back in verse 20, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can look back in your Bible. The, the angels of the Lord kind of freed them from jail the first time. And you see freedom from jail. Verse 20, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Okay. God has spoken through his angel. This is what we go do. There was a faith, there was a simplicity to their faith, like this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus does. Well, of course, this is the way we live, because that's the Jesus way. And we can feel the internal mechanisms going, there's the Jesus way, then there's the world way, there's the Jesus way, there's the world way. But our submission ultimately is to Jesus and to live the Jesus way. And so they understood this and they stood with a firmness, not in a disrespect, not in a demanding, not in a... Uh, uh, confrontation like it was confrontation but no like they're just holding out like we supposed to obey God or are we supposed to obey man we're going to obey God and just so you're clear what God we're talking about you can read on it says the God of our ancestors the God of our ancestors who raised this Jesus from the dead the one whom you killed, right? So they just said, one of the reasons we're angry with you is because you keep putting his blood on our hands. Isn't that one of the things that we run into also? And we're not necessarily walking up to people and saying, you know, you crucified Jesus. You were there, I saw you amongst them. No, 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 we're not necessarily doing that. But as we hold out righteousness, as we hold out this new way of living, as we hold out holiness in front of God, People will recoil against that. And you just keep trying to blame me for Jesus' life. You keep kind of tell me how wrong I am. No, 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 we're just living faithfully to what God has called us to do. And it's different than what the world tells us to do. And so we hold that intention. But even as they do, they're highlighting, like, we're gonna obey God. This God of our ancestors, just so you're clear, so the Sanhedrin, like the God of our ancestors, the God you also worship, this is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And notice where they go. Like, we submit to God, and who's the God that we submit to? The God who raised Jesus from the dead. That's the one. Like he's creator of everything, the God of our ancestors. A lot of the times they'll use the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's get very clear about who it is we're worshiping and who we're submitting to. This God of our ancestors who raised Jesus from the dead. And those that keep coming back to the resurrection. The resurrection is the fulfillment of God's promises through the Hebrew scriptures that Messiah would come, that Messiah would rescue his people, that he would do so through his own sacrifice. So there's the resurrection that they keep bringing up, and then there's the death of Jesus that they keep bringing up. This God of our ancestors, whom, who raised Jesus from the dead, Why did Jesus need to be raised from the dead? Because you killed him in cooperation with the powers of government and the powers of other religious leaders and the crowds and the mob. You killed him. They keep coming back to that. They just don't get off of it. Everything that they do is about proclaiming Jesus as Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, uh, the Messiah. And all of Hebrew scripture is fulfilled in his life, death, resurrection, and enthronement at the right hand of God. Do you see those? This is how they talked about the gospel as they held it out in the temple courts and in the houses where they met. There's this robustness to who God is and what he has done. But everything that they do comes back to this did you notice how they even talked about jesus they talked about him as their uh savior what do we get this in um uh 30 32 to to do, do, do um verse 31 god exalted him to his own right hand right the exaltation the ascension of jesus his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring israel to repentance and forgive their sins it's just an interesting way to talk about this, isn't it? Prince, that the, the word that's used there for prince uh, is sometimes a little bit mystifying for us. We, maybe th- we think of like Prince William or uh, there was Prince Charles and now he's king and most of us don't know any other princes except he who was formerly named Prince there, right? <laughs> so, uh, so we don't have a lot of uh, notion of this na- language of prince. And so the, the, the word literally translates as founder, as founder with authority because he is the one who founded, right? So it it carries authority, it carries leadership, and it carries this notion of of beginning point. He was the the head, the founder. In other words, the, the one who founded all of this, the one who has the authority of all of this and is our savior is the one that he's talking about there. And so it's continually holding out. And I love how back, again, back in verse 20, when we read that, how the angel was saying, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. Well, what is this new life? It's this new life in, in the prince and savior, Jesus, and the founder of our our faith. It's the founder of this life. It's Jesus. Everything is about Jesus and his way of life. They weren't badgering people into a certain set of beliefs and cognitive assent. They were continually inviting and drawing people into, through their proclamation, um, into the Jesus life. And people were responding to that, which is why the religious leaders were jealous. Do you hear the jealousy there? Luke even tells us that one of the reasons they dragged him in there, because they were, they were jealous. And again, jealous is a good word there. Another word that we might translate that is zealous. The, the the Pharisees were zealous, and when it uses the language of zealous, what were they zealous for? They were zealous for guarding the righteousness of the law, for guarding the holiness and the sanctity of the law. They were protecting this, and in their zeal, they missed Jesus. There's another one that's kind of setting the stage for us, so it leaves these little Easter eggs for us along the way. There's going to be somebody who's going to be coming up in a few chapters. His name is Saul, and he's going to be described as a man whose zeal nobody matched. He was zealous for the law. These are Pharisees who are zealous for the law. And in that zeal that created this, you're getting all this attention, you're creating this stir, and it should not be. So, again, we're seeing these things, obeying God. And even as they talk, as they proclaim in the face of the Sanhedrin and in the temple courts and in the houses, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus and new life in Jesus that they were drawing people in. Okay? And then listen to Gamaliel. You know, Gamaliel was one of the Pharisees, and he was a highly respected Pharisee. Uh, he was... Uh, likely the grandson of one of the most renowned threads of Pharisees throughout Judaism in that day. And so he had a lot of respect, right? And one of the things that we might experience that here, um, uh, we think of, uh, the Graham family. So Franklin Graham is the son of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, we hold in such high esteem. And so Franklin Graham has got his own story, um, but, but there's this, and then there's the next generation. So the Graham kids are like, oh, that's Billy Graham's grandkids. That like, there comes a little bit of respect that comes with that. And you gotta, you gotta continue to walk in it, which Gamaliel does. And so he holds this respect of the people. And so he stands up and speaks. And did you hear how he talked about this? He so, said, look, there has been other uprisings before. Other people have claimed to be somebody. Other people have claimed to be Messiah. They got a following. They were killed. And everybody just scattered. The next one rises up. He was killed. And their people just scattered. And then listen to what he says. Um, I think verse 35 is where this address begins. And he goes through. But I'm not going to read all of those pieces. Verse 38 therefore in the present case i advise you leave these men alone let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin it will fail but if it is from god you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against god this is worth highlighting like highlight this thing underline this thing circle this and 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 There's something that Gamaliel is drawing attention to here. And and Luke is recording this for us because he's wanting us to know that this thing is of God. That this thing is of God. The things that they're doing. Because we might be reading this going, they're kind of making a mess of things. Or they're kind of like being nubby about this and they keep kind of poking the pharisees and the like they say don't do this and they go do this and it's at the temple and maybe like, like it, it can when we might be going is this really like do you really luke is making sure we understand through Gamaliel's speech that's recorded here in acts for us that this is of god this is of god and to stand opposed what these men are doing, is to stand opposed to God himself. And so this movement that we're seeing, just even in these first several uh, chapters of Acts, we are reminded once again, this is a movement of God. God's move is always to give people his spirit and through his people to spread his name. God's mission has always been to, to walk with humanity, to cover the earth to subdue it, to rule and reign with him, not as the Gentiles do with lording it over, but to rule out of the love of God, so that as we rule and reign over all of creation, all of creation knows who God is, and his name is made more famous and glorious. This has always been his mission, and while it seems to have taken some detours, we're reminded again, this is what God does, this is what God's doing, and friends, listen to this today. This is what he continues to do today. This is the part of the story that we are joining. God is still on the move, working in and through his people to spread his name throughout the world. Not simply a cognitive belief, but those who will submit to him his lordship of all people, of all nations, throughout all of creation, that the world might know who he is. And God's design has always been to do that with his people now i know not everybody who's sitting here and listening in is his people you're still trying to figure it out but many of us are we have been been marked by his grace we've experienced his freedom and forgiveness we are his this is what our life is about now our life is no longer on our own terms like they ask the question should we obey god or should we obey man do you know who's included in the question about obeying man not just those out there but the one in here, you. (laughs) Like we ask the question, should I obey God or should I obey myself? Because that's the power that we're most acclimated to. I do what I want to do. I go where I want to go. I exercise autonomy, independence and power. I am my own boss. Do we listen to God or do we listen to man? That is a key question. Did you see it in there? Do you hear it reverberating amongst us? This God, the God of the ancestors, the God of scripture has revealed himself through Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. And if this is of God, the true movement of God might not look all that impressive. But if God is the source, look out. As we look through the history of God's people in the last 2,000 years, one of the things that we see is that the church, the movement of God, God's kingdom moves in subversive ways. Early church fathers would say that the blood of the martyrs waters the garden of the church. It's actually in the face of this opposition that the church is its most potent, its most powerful in expressing and seeing the kingdom of God move. We get our undies in a bunch because we don't have the place at the seat of power in our day anymore. And how can we do what God has called us to do? When the question really is turned upside down, how could you do what God wanted you to do when you did have a seat at the table? Because the church only moves in its power and potency and vibrancy in subversive ways. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It works its way through a whole batch of dough. The kingdom of God is light. It pierces through the darkness where all can see. It doesn't doesn't pierce through the daylight. It pierces through the darkness for all to see. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's like understood to be like the smallest of all the seeds. But then it grows and flourishes and covers all of creation in his splendor. The church moves in subversive, influential, yeasty ways. This shouldn't fear make us afraid. This shouldn't concern us. It should encourage us. And in the very place where darkness seems to be more courageous, where evil seems more bold, the light shines more brightly. The salt is more salty. The yeast rises and works its way through the whole batch of dough. The kingdom of God has come. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not because we storm the bastille with power and might, but because in loving, gentle humility, we submit ourselves to the God of the universe and we live for him. Who shall I serve, God or man? And the question lies before you. And we notice, Gamaliel puts this out there. He says, bring him back in. Verse 40. His speech persuaded them, so we're not going to kill him yet. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Like, like, like the seed like don't let it pass too quickly there okay guys come on back in we're actually not going to kill you but, but we're going to beat you real good for a couple of minutes and then we're going to send you on your way so like, <laughs> like they could have just said okay now stop it and move on but they put in the beating just to kind of like it's like they had to work it out a little bit you know it was like the beating was for their own good and so here the, the apostles they get beaten they get beaten and their flesh is torn they're bleeding they've just been beaten and they walk out of there. Whew, man, we escaped with our lives. We, I'm really afraid of this whole thing. And I'm not sure what's gonna happen anymore. Can you believe it? I can't believe they didn't kill us. Oh, I'm so afraid of... What, what are they gonna do the next time? And that's how they walked out of there. Oh, wait a second. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin... Wait, hello. Rejoicing. They left there rejoicing... Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. You know, in this graduation season, we get honors. There are sports honors, there's academic honors. Even if you're not graduating, we get the honors as well. We should. I'm not taking anything away from that. But but sometimes we get the whole notion of worthy. Mixed up in our minds. Just sit with a little bit what they counted as worthy. Like, so they got, they got beat up. They got beat up good. It wasn't a hand slap. It wasn't a ruler on the knuckles. They got beat. And they walk out of there like, yeah. This is sweet. Can you believe? We just got our butts handed to us. This is fantastic. High fives around. woo Right? This is great. Like, why are you guys so happy? Because we got beaten. Oh, that seems weird. No, no, no. We, we didn't just get beaten. We, we got beaten because we're faithful to Jesus. Man. Like, we're living in such a way that the enemy has come on strong and he thought we were worthy of being beaten. Beaten. I'm celebrating, I'm rejoicing, woohoo, because I'm worthy of suffering for the name. What are the things we think of that make us worthy? We work so hard to be accepted. We work so hard to find ourselves at the seat of uh, authority and power. We work so hard to find ourselves at the seat of respect. And the church has done it for decades to be respectful. And yet they rejoiced because they were worthy of suffering for the name. Later, James will say, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the abuse being heaped on, God is doing a good work. He's strengthening. He's emboldening. In the midst of the suffering, the kingdom does not shirk back. In the midst of the suffering in the blood of his people, the church moves forward. What do you celebrate? What do you honor in your life? So often I have honored the escape from suffering. And I found myself feeling worthy because of the escape of suffering. But the apostles hold out this different way of seeing things, and they rejoiced. They were joyful because they knew this was from God. They, they didn't let the beating dampen their joy. They had been counted worthy of the suffering. And so how do we respond to opposition? How do we respond to opposition? A couple weeks ago, Nate Great message, thank you, Nate. Uh, Nate talked about this, kind of got the ball rolling for us in this opposition, and we anchor ourselves in Jesus. It's all about Jesus, it's not about me. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of me. They hate me, they're gonna hate you. Like, you will stand, when, when you submit to the lordship of Jesus, you will stand in opposition to all the other little lords that vie for your attention. And so we're reminded, How do we respond to opposition? We anchor in Jesus. Joe talked last week, thank you, Joe. You talked about this. How do we respond to opposition? We pray, and we pray the story. This is why studying scripture is so important to us because it teaches us what we're praying and how to pray and how to see God's movement throughout human history and what God is doing. And it encourages us and fills us with joy that today we anchor ourselves moments after being pummeled and beaten to rejoice, to rejoice because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. And the word there is evangelizing that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. If this is of God, there's nothing you can do to stop them, Friends, is the life you live in Jesus of God, then nothing can stop it. Stand with me, let's pray. Jesus, uh, as we encounter suffering, I I don't know that I'm even all the way there of saying, can you bring suffering? But, But as we experience opposition, whatever it may look like, work in us, stir in us, that we might count it worthy, that that we are counted worthy to suffer for your name, whatever that looks like. But that only happens as we walk with you, right side by side with you. We We can't veer to the right or the left. We walk with you. So teach us your way, Jesus. And as the world stood in opposition to you, we know that they will for us too. Give us hearts of humility, gentleness, and love that we might live in the subversive way of your kingdom and see your kingdom come and see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be so. Amen and amen. If there's any reason we can pray for you, we've got some prayer team up here. We'd love to be able to do that before you go. And if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus and you are looking for a life worthy of getting beat up for, we'd love to pray with you about that too. Today could be your day where you experience this new life and join the fellowship of those who suffer worthy of the name. All right? Walk with him as you go, and if we can serve you, please let us know how we can do that. Take care. Have a great week. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.